Hi, everybody. This is John Petrolis, host of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, another show from your friends at Gray. On Gray Matter, we explore the most innovative and inspiring ideas from creators, founders, and inventors. We dig deep to learn about the problems that led to big solutions through in-depth conversations. And right now, you can listen to our conversations with creators like poet Jay Ivey and comedian Cecily Strong of SNL, the founder of The Moth, George Dawes Green, the couple that started Unsplash, and the inventor of the not-reaching pouch, Jackie Carter. And this year, we have even more great conversations coming your way from innovators from industries including fashion, social media, tech, and more. Episodes are released every other Tuesday. After you finish listening to The Five Things, go check out Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find podcasts. That's spelled G-R-E-Y, Gray Matter. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast, the five things where we get together and we talk about five topics in social media this week. You could consider it the social media discourse multiverse, if you will. All right. Well, this week we've got podcast regular Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Kenny. And back on the mic, fresh from Montauk, fresh off a of Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup victory, we have Ooh. Ed May Jorge. Hello. What's Ed up, May. guys? Hello. Generally, when Ed May's on the podcast, we get more listeners, so I'm kind of nervous right now. Thanks, Marketing Twitter. She's like a celebrity. Whoop, 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 whoop. Okay. Let's roll with it. Our five things this week. TikTok launches resumes feature to connect candidates with job opportunities. This is the only way that Gen Z is going to get a job is <laughs> through this. Is this what we're talking about? Okay. Uh, Twitter teases the launch of Twitter for professionals. Oh my God, I am sensing a theme. The content creator economy becomes the hottest new focus for tech investors. Clubhouse and Ted announce exclusive content partnership. Clubhouse is still a thing, I guess. After less than a year, Twitter retires Fleet's feature, and I'm partially responsible. All right. With that, we dive in. Amanda, take it away. All right. So again, another shocker, but Gen Z is not getting a lot of jobs. So TikTok has launched this resume feature to connect candidates with job opportunities based in the U.S. They can create little videos that look like TikToks that describe who they are, you know, pitch for the job that they want, and then apply to a select number of companies that the um, platform is piloting with to do this. It's pretty interesting. Um, All these will be aggregated under hashtag TikTok resumes and kind of be connected in one place. I think the interesting part of this is that this is already something that was happening on TikTok and TikTok took notice that people were uploading videos, trying to get jobs. They were sharing career advice. They were sharing career opportunities on the platform in a really kind of um, across the board way. So they're trying to operationalize it a little bit. I think, and and to your point, Kenny, we're talking about Twitter's um, entrance into the hiring process space. We're definitely due for an update. It's a little bit outdated. But this particular platform, um, TikTok doing it this way and creating these little short form videos, personally, I kind of have mixed reviews around whether this creates more accessibility to jobs and applicants or if it's a little bit of the things that we don't want to do of, you know, everybody has an inherent bias. If you watch a video and you don't like the way a person talks or the transitions or the music they use and they're out of the running for a job, like 
I, I just am worried that it's maybe meant to be helpful and connect people to the right job. But if you're a great content creator, you're going to go to the head of the stack ahead of someone who might be better suited for the job. I, is my I don't concern. know. Is this about, this, this is less about, in my opinion, the people making the resumes versus the people viewing the resumes. And this is a, a departure for a lot of older companies in how they are going to source talent for the future. The days of the one-page resume and the education, GPA, recent experience, clubs and activities, skills, like those days are probably over. Or am I oversimplifying it? Totally. And I think there does need to be an update, but going straight to like creating a edited video that shows that's you talking about who you are and your capabilities, not everyone's going to be good at that. And not everyone's going to be as good as the people who are already making TikTok resumes. If you are applying for a content creator job, a creative job, you know, something in marketing, something in social media, I think this is awesome. And it's a really cool way to show your skill. And to your point, Kenny, it's like very non-traditional. I just hope that it finds that use case more than, you know, companies that just get excited by hiring Gen Z and creates this this other wave of issues with that. Yeah, I definitely don't see this like thriving outside of the creative field. But I mean, video interviews have been part of the process for a ton of my interviews that I've ever been on, like in the past. So I definitely think like more so than have those like stale questions that you're going to get like in the in-person, like it's definitely a cool way to showcase, um, creator content, creator ability, especially if that's like the field that you're trying to go in and letting them speak their language too. Like, I think there's a lot of people that when you fill out a resume, you're really boxy and you're like trying to answer the questions in the way that, you know, you were coached to answer them. But when you can just be yourself and do it in the way that you are used to communicating with your peers, it's going to come off a little more natural and you're going to be yourself. So more to come how this goes. This is just a pilot in July and then they'll figure out, um, you know, if they want to extend it further than that. So I'm really curious to see how these, um, this batch of companies that are the first ones to jump in, if they find a lot of great, um, applicants. Awesome. Well, let's go from the visual to the written and make our way over to Edme's preferred medium. (laughs) Love me some Twitter. Um, so yeah, Twitter is actually now testing the ability to make your account a business account. So like users can go to the app and select Twitter for professionals and select like the type of category your business is, whether it's like beauty, entertainment, what have you, and then sort of check off if you're a business, like a brand or service, or if you're a creator. And this is just like in testing right now. And it's interesting because like, there's not a lot of information out about like what it means if you have Twitter for professionals account, like for an Instagram business profile, you get access to like these additional features, like insights, analytics, and ads. Um, but you can already do all of that on Twitter as is. So I'm interested to see like what the incentive is or like what the distinguishing features will be for this Twitter for professionals. Um, but like, I also urge Twitter to like take a breath and like look in the mirror because like this makes sense for Facebook and Instagram. Like you want to be a business account so people can shop and hopefully you have that swipe up feature. And it's like sort of about understanding the need for additional features based on the behavior of the platform. And I just feel like a lot of all the platforms essentially are just like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And like, rather than, than sort of 
be putting out all these different features and then removing them, which we'll see later on. Like, it's really about like innovating and, and creating things for your platform based on how your audience shows up in your space. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see when this will roll out and what companies will switch over to Twitter for professionals and what that incentive will be. Do you guys think this is a game changer? Just another one of those updates? I think it's another one of those things that falls under us trying to figure out what is Twitter trying to be? Like, what is the end goal? And I think it's clear, like you said, for Instagram, they are are trying to be a marketplace economy. So when they they rolled out professional accounts, I'm sure that those accounts that had shoppable units, that had shoppable, you know, store pages, they got prioritized in the algorithm. Like that made sense. And it was clear what that interaction was for. It's like, I don't know what Twitter is trying to be. So I don't know how a professional can be successful. A this feels, can be successful this feels like a direct response to marketing Twitter, talking about finding jobs on Twitter. Like there was a, there was a low key thread going around in the summer that was like, this is why Twitter is better than LinkedIn. And it was like this weird kind of insular marketing conversation. I can't see like Goldman Sachs hiring an analyst from here. So, you know, I, th- I think similarly to Edmay's point, I don't know, it might have been Amanda's point. Sorry, it was someone's point earlier. You know, does this exist for the creator community? Does this ex- exist for the creative community? And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how people are, are leveraging this to grow their talent pool. I wonder if the brands that are successful in something like this are like the monsters, monster.com, Indeed, being able to leverage sort of like the social integrate, we used to call it like the social graph back in the day, but like the social integration into their resume builder or into their job spotting opportunity. I don't know. This is, it's interesting that they're going there. It's interesting that multiple channels are leaning into sort of the professionalism that you, and sort of like career building bit. I don't know. It's an, this is interesting to me. I don't know if it lives for Twitter. The one thing I'll say about Twitter more so than any other channel we'll talk about it later, is if something doesn't work, they're just going to kill it. So they're not going to let it dwell and sit there. Um, so we'll see where they go with it. Yeah, they and, have no loyalty. Edmay's looking off to the side like she's either really bored or she doesn't agree and she doesn't know where to take this. <laughs> no, I love, I love that Twitter will kill something that doesn't work, but it's also just like, I just urge these platforms to stop just trying to do what everyone else is doing. And like, you are you as a platform for a reason. And like the behaviors of your platform are different. All right. Well, let's get into our next thing here, which is that the content creator economy has become the hottest new focus for tech investors. And this is pretty straightforward. There was a a pretty large New York Times article from Taylor Lorenz about this. Um, But we are seeing millions and millions of dollars being invested uh, by tech investors, venture capital funds who are putting money into not just the influencers themselves, but influencer product lines. For example, we saw uh, that the Founders Fund took the lead in a $15 million investment now for Pietra, which is a startup aimed at helping influencers launch product lines. Um, We've seen Alexis Ohanian, the Reddit co-founder, investing a $16 million investment into PearPop, which was a platform that would help creators monetize their collaborations and social media interactions. So we're seeing this happen more and more and more. There's been all this talk of the creator economy 
And I think that this is, you know, one of the quick hit validations for what that creator economy looks like. You are seeing it at an individual one-to-one level. For example, brand reaches out to a creator, pays them for what they do. We've seen it at a one-to-few level with the way that brands are investing in creator houses. Um, and now we are starting to see it at the product level where, the, where venture capital is coming in and investing at a large scale. Um, so this is further validation. I think if social... 1.0 was about community and social 2.0 was about creativity. And then social 3.0 is about the creator. Um, and I think that it is, you know, going from, you know, we all get together and talk to a few people create a few things to everybody's out there creating and trying to hustle against it. And I think that that uh, is going to impact, obviously, the the wallets of the creators themselves in a good way. They should be compensated for what they do. But it's also going to create a shift in mindset for brands in how they work with creators because brands are often trying to control every component of the process. And being able to cede control for co-creation uh, is something that is slightly foreign to most brands. Um, and the brands that do it well are the ones who will succeed. So and speech. I don't know, Edme, Amanda, who wants to take the first crack at this one? I'm just still on like what you were saying, the evolution of social from like 1.0 is community and then 3.0 is create. Like that's, it's just really interesting how, how much the platforms are, are really pushing to prioritize creation. I mean, TikTok went three minutes now, like Instagram's adding all of these features. Um, so it's just really interesting to see that like natural evolution of the platforms and social media in general. Yeah. And I think this big rise in investment from tech investors is, is the punctuation at the end of the sentence that we've been saying in that the shift from influencer is just a person that people like into someone that actually creates content is more important than ever. I, I do think that the influencers, I guess, that aren't content creators are going to fall by the wayside. They're not going to have as many, you know, as much engagement, as many fans, as many followers, as people who are used to actually creating content that's built to their audience that they want to talk about it. That there's There will be a fine line between, of course, celebrities and content creators. But I think this is kind of the very official, like, you know, drop of the hammer on the shift from influencer to content creator value. So it's interesting, you know, Mark Zuckerberg just posted yesterday that Facebook is investing over a billion dollars directly into the pockets of creators on Facebook and Instagram. I think the key is to prevent the creator economy from becoming the rich get richer for example, Charlie D'Amelio does not need seed money from the channels to create content. She's being paid by brands to create content. But getting the, the, the dollars into the hands of young, up-and-coming, diverse creators to make sure that we as consumers are being exposed to the latest, the greatest, the most up-and-coming, and the most, I'm going to say the word diverse again, perspectives of what's going on out in society. Um before the boycott, I think TikTok was starting to go in that direction with what they were doing with TikTok for Black creators. Um, they didn't pay off on that promise as well as they they were planning to, but it looks like they're they're trying. Uh, you know, Twitter is doing this also um, with a few of their programs. So I think 
um, the, the key for me and where this gets really interesting is it's great to see tech money flowing into the hands of the creator economy where it won't be good as if tech bros behave like tech bros. And it just goes to the same people because that's counterintuitive to the diverse fabric of the creator economy. And I think that's what will be, uh, that's what will determine the success of something like this. Agree. And I also think that's issues that people fell into in the original um, influencer economy boom. Um, and it, hopefully we use that as a roadmap to figure out what, what not to do with content creators. I don't know, Edme. What do you think? No, I think what Amanda said was like an interesting point is like thinking about also like the evolution of influencers too. Like it used to be just people like, oh, like I like this person. So like they're an influencer, like I'm a fan of this person. So they're an influencer. And now it's just evolved so much to cover all of these different, so many different things can be creators. So many different people can be creators and it's just evolving in so many ways. Um, so it's just, again, it's just really interesting to watch and, and social and was social used to be like this nice to have, and then it became like a need to have. And I think that's the same thing with creators. I think that we can see that with the industries that are starting to get in on this. It's like, it's no longer a nice to have anymore. You need to be working with these people and, and sort of evolving with, with the trends. And that's, that's really cool to see. Amen. All right. Welcome back, Clubhouse, old friend. Edme, tell us what's happening with Clubhouse and Ted. Oh, boy. Don't delete your Clubhouse app. If you already have, bring it back. Um, no, exclusive TED Chats are coming to Clubhouse. They're actually already here. Um, so with another partnership under their belt, they're bringing exclusive TED Chats um, that are going to be running through the summer. The first one launched this week and is going to be running on a weekly basis. So... Under this partnership, um, Ted is free to sell brand partnerships and like ads and Clubhouse won't be taking a cut. So it's really like a win-win and like the perfect partnership given the nature and the popularity of Ted programming across Spotify and other like audio-based apps. And partnering with Clubhouse really brings like that interactive element in being able to like host Q&A sessions and integrating audience interaction, which they're unable to do in like their typical output as is. And when you're so passionate about a topic that, or like a speaker that you want to sit through a whole presentation about it, um, you're really going to value that opportunity a little bit more if you have the ability to interact in some way. But I think like bigger than this one partnership though, like the quest to win audio on social is really not going anywhere. And it's going to come down to like these exclusive partnerships and talent acquisition because like even the NFL announced back during the draft about their exclusive content partnership with Clubhouse, like this week just announced an exclusive content deal with Twitter Spaces. So it's really gonna be like this intense race to secure these exclusive partnerships. And like, even if you do secure these partnerships, you really have to be focusing on innovation because your partner might have another exclusive partnership with a competitor platform. Um, so I don't see Clubhouse going anywhere despite some of the things that I see on Twitter. I think you're gonna see a ton more of these uh, partnership announcements pop up and like brands trying to figure out how to do audio and audio first entities like podcasts trying to innovate on how they use audio. But I don't know. Have you guys deleted your clubhouse apps yet? I have not. I still get all the notifications and I know that's why Kenny deleted his. I don't want your notifications. Slow your roll. <laughs> and by the way, like 
I like TED talks. Like I like TED, but like, is that really how we're saving Clubhouse? Here's what I will applaud them for. Instead of Clubhouse could have sat there and been like, how do we host more of the same kind of conversations in different ways? Instead of kind of spiraling in the original function of the app, I do like that they are looking for partnerships that extend the use of audio and how people interact with audio. So these are obviously all conversations and chats. But I think when you think about what is the next step of a TED and Clubhouse partnership look like, maybe it is some kind of platform. People love people. People really love their TED Talks. They want to listen to them. And, you know, if there is a place where they can listen to some exclusive content or get more from their favorite TED thought leader, they might go to Clubhouse for that. And so I am curious to see how Clubhouse evolves beyond the original function of thought leadership chats and a little stage conversation. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't say that. That's my favorite thing to say and I will never say it. And to quote Ed May. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. We have fun here at the five things. Um, Slightly. Some fun. Um, All right. We have to come home now to our fifth thing which is the retiring of a friend we barely knew. The retiring or the the murder of Fleets? Because Fleets was not even... So violent. I mean, that's that's how everyone's... Fleets got killed. After not even a year, eight months, I think, um, after Twitter announced... And if if you're not familiar with Fleets, understandable. Basically, the IG stories of Twitter that uh, launched less than a year ago... Twitter just announced that they are getting rid of this feature and that that real estate in your feed will instead go to Spaces, which is basically the clubhouse of Twitter. These conversations start to get a little confusing after a while, but they are they didn't really give us a lot of information, except it was pretty clear no one was using them. And it seems like they do want to focus on their audio rooms, their audio capabilities. They just launched their subscription services for some members. So it's clear that Twitter is changing directions um, to the point we mentioned earlier in the podcast. Twitter's the first one to throw some feature out into the platform and then people hate on it and then they immediately pull it back, which I know that that looks messy, but I do appreciate the experimentation, trying something new. Some of it's not going to work. Some of it will. I'd rather a, a platform try a bunch of stuff and then move forward with a vision of what sticks. I do think we need to figure out a little what they're trying to do and what's next, but RIP to the fleet. Uh, No, it never was working. Promoted fleets didn't work. Organic fleets didn't work. They were, it was, it was bad. It was bad. It was Twitter trying to be a little Facebooky and take another product and move it onto their own channel. So um, I applaud Twitter um, for trying and failing. We, we learned more from failure, obviously. Um, I don't know. Anyways, give Cause I just don't eyes. love it. Like I just, the, I'm, I love every different platform for how different the behavior and the audience is on each platform. And why am I following you on different platforms? If you're going to be posting the same thing in the same format on every single platform, like I'm all about bespoke content 
And it's just not a thing if you're posting the same story on Twitter and Facebook story and Instagram story, and then also throwing it on TikTok. It's just like, that's, that's not what Twitter is for. Um, so I get why they would want to get in on that, but I think they just need to stick to what they do best. I think all platforms need to do that. I'm on plus one, plus, plus, plus one. Yeah. Like, this is why I hate reels. So hopefully reels gets killed next. I had to think about what reels was. Reels is not going anywhere. When you said that. (laughs) The social team at Gray is on point. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Well, listen, this has been fun. Um, I'm happy to see fleets go. I'm happy to see that creators are being invested in. Um, I'm, I love it all. I really do. I'm loving life. All is groovy to quote Simon and Garfunkel. Um, so yeah. Okay. For the kids out there, you can Google that. Um, so let's just land this plane. That's the five things for this week. Um, I'd like to thank our producer, Joey Scarillo, as always, for keeping us honest, keeping us on time, making us sound good, and always getting us together for the fun. I'd like to thank regular, regular, regular host Amanda Davis for being here, as always, and providing her perspective. Edme, Jorge, on the mic, dropping in, helping us out, doing her thing. Uh, Hello to all the new listeners who are here because of Edme. Thank you. Thank you. And if you don't follow us already, I'm going to take this moment to say, go on Apple, go on Spotify, hit the follow button, jam it, jam it. Let us know that you want us to be in your feed because we're kind of interesting. If we do say so ourselves, if we do say so ourselves, um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at podcastsatgrade.com. And as always, please, please, please look both ways before you cross the street. Stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.